This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, joined this week by a longtime friend, PWI contributing writer, Mike Bessler. How are you, Mike? Just great. Glad to be back. Yes, Dan's out on assignment. I wanted to have uh, Mike on here uh, for a while. We've been doing more, kind of talking to uh, writers, both from the past and present, and Mike has obviously been uh, a real important part of the magazine for how long now? I think since uh, 2010 was my first article. Okay, so a little bit uh, after me. Do you remember what uh, your first article was? Yeah, it was on a a guy named Ray Alexander. It was a, I believe it was a one-to-watch or an introducing piece, maybe for the the wrestler. Okay. And um, it it was funny how I came to it. I'll try to keep it short, but I think it's a great story. I was writing, kind of got bitten by the wrestling bug again. I had been away for a little while and was writing just on the internet, just kind of dipping my toe in a little bit and then haranguing other people because I didn't like the way they were writing about wrestling. So some of the people in the much maligned IWC said, why don't you shut up and write? So I started doing that, tried to start uh, my own site with a group of guys. We had come from another kind of user-generated content site. And had a column that I would like it was called the burn unit and I would break down first second third fourth degree burns and criticize other forms of wrestling media um, I did I did one about PWI's uh, announcement that Triple H was wrestler of the decade and did some s- subtle critiquing I didn't, didn't go after the magazine the way a lot of people do on uh, the IWC is social media these days because there's still a lot to, to respect there. And I knew that right. coming into it said to, to their credit, they treated it like, like a Supreme court decision, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Talked about Dan Murphy's dissenting opinion and turned Justice out that Murphy. Dan, Dan was yeah, justice Murphy. Dan <laughs> turned out was combing the internet, probably looking for articles about himself and <laughs> found himself mentioned and within like two days, I was on the phone with Stu Sachs. He said, obviously, you can write. Would you like to come write for my magazine? And wow. it was it's great. It's kind was of the great. other way around. I think it's, it's people reaching out. I mean, in my case, certainly, uh, to, to the magazine. So I think that's a testament uh, to what you bring to the table that Stu reached out to you. That's great. Thanks. I mean, it, it, I think it's easy to take shots at institutions and things like that that have been around, but you gotta, it's, it's just like when we talk about wrestling itself. You've got to uh, you know, have some respect and pay homage to these institutions um, and, and what they represent. And it's kind of like when indie guys – it's not so much these days, but indie guys used to really badmouth WWE the way a lot of internet writers badmouth PWI and outlets like that. But when they come calling, it's like this is it. This is this is right. the big yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So that was and, – and I've, I've been so fortunate you know, to write for PWI for almost a decade. It's just – it's it's like a dream come true. I still yeah, love it. You mentioned the uh, wrestler of the decade, and we're coming up on that discussion again uh, here in a few months, and already have started to talk a bit about uh, the decade yeah. award. So yeah, it's right around the corner. Uh, but yeah, we're certainly uh, always happy to have Mike. I, one of the reasons uh, I definitely wanted to have you is I was listening to you on Busted Open 
uh, a few months ago and uh, thought you did a great job representing the magazine and thought, yeah, got to get Mike back on. So uh, we've got a lot uh, to talk about on this episode. We are about a week separated now from SummerSlam. We're going to share some thoughts on the big show that I think was uh, a pretty good show. I mean, in terms of SummerSlam, so I don't know that it's like all-time great, but uh, one thing uh, I loved about it was just the length. So we'll mm-hmm. talk uh, about that in a bit and also just kind of fall out some of the big angles uh, coming out of SummerSlam and um, the night after SummerSlam and uh, whatever else. And then later on the show, we're going to hear an interview that I conducted a few weeks back. Uh, you talk about, you know, wrestling fans with their their fingers on the pulse and, and the proper tone, I think, of critiquing it. And I think uh, right at, at the head of that is Conrad Thompson, uh, the podfather, the host of uh, many of uh, the biggest podcasts in wrestling, uh, JR's, Tony Schiavone's, Eric Bischoff, uh, Bruce Pritchard. He's got like this... Um, uh, he's built this whole empire of wrestling podcasts, a super interesting guy. And one of the, the reasons uh, we reached out to him was uh, when Dan did the poll, the PWI poll this year, and we talked about uh, the most influential people in wrestling. Uh, it was a name that came to my mind, uh, absolutely, Conrad Thompson. So I uh, had fun talking about him. Obviously, the, the big thing uh, for him coming up is StarCast 3 happening over All Out weekend and uh, already some big names and events announced uh, for StarCast 3, not the least of which is CM Punk. And he talks a bit about uh, how he snagged. I mean, that's like the the great wild, white whale of wrestling conventions, uh, CM Punk. So we talk a bit about that and a lot more. So stay tuned for that. Uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest Pro Wrestling Illustrated that you could pick up uh, on newsstands or have uh, delivered to your home right now. It is the, what is it, October issue, I think? Uh, you can pick up that issue uh, right now at pwi-online.com. But right around the corner, I think uh, maybe by next week or the week after that, certainly in coming weeks, it's the big one. It's the PWI 500. Um, we have wrapped it up. I think it's getting over to the printers. We're going to uh, be sending it out before long. And uh, I'm sure another big newsmaking issue of PWI 500. Uh, without any spoilers, Mike, what's kind of your takeaway uh, on this year's list and, and your contributions to it? These days, and maybe it's always been like this, folks either love it or hate it, but they still got to talk about it. And I think this year is going to be uh, you know, no exception to that. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the uh, uh, some of the discussion about it. And again, most of this takes place online, but people still talk about it. That's what's important. I'll say this much, again, kind of spoiler-free. I don't think a whole lot of – I'm not anticipating a whole lot of controversy, um, certainly with the first few people. I mean I think this year maybe it was a little more obvious than most. There are years that we really struggle, and I think there was some uh, – a handful of people who clearly had better years than others. Uh, but you know, placement – uh, exclusion of some people, inclusion of some people, it's always going to uh, stir up uh, uh, some news. And, you know, some of us do our, our takes, uh, which are these little 500-word kind of, you know, what's your takeaway about this year's list? And mine had to do with somebody who was excluded from the list, and I think that's one of the the big headlines. And, and I won't say any more than that, but uh, I think it's very historic in who is not on the list this year. So uh, I think – I think also, if I could say, you know, I remember years ago, I can't remember how long I've been part of that team now, but I remember the first year even noticing folks saying, well, this guy isn't in there, you know, especially when you get into the 300s, 400s, and so forth. Um, 
And I remember back then, this may be 2011, 2012, being overwhelmed at just the amount of people who probably had a compelling case to make it in, but there's only 500 slots. And I said, yeah. I said back then, it's hard to put 10 pounds of sugar into a five pound bag. Um, but you think about how much wrestling as a business has grown. It still doesn't have those kind of high, you know, Nielsen shares that it did during the Monday Night Wars, but it's so much bigger, it feels like, than it was less than a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a list of 500 names uh, this year. Um, so a draft that started going uh, around. And one of the things we do is we circulate it, you know, who's left off, any ideas for people we've missed, and, and different people, you know, gave different submissions. And we probably ended up with an extra hundred uh, people that mm -hmm. should be, uh, whether they belong on the list or not, should be under consideration. So, uh, and obviously, some of those made it in, others didn't. You know, to make room for those people, some people who were on the list ended up being kicked off the list. So, yeah, I mean, um, it, it's incredible. Once upon a time, 500 probably felt like how are we going to fill 500 slots mm -hmm. and now really it's not nearly enough uh but yeah right. i'm not counting nor am i volunteering <laughs> for a pwi <laughs> 5000 or, or anything else so uh anyway yeah that's that's the next issue it's a biggie it's about uh, as big as anything we do uh pwi-online.com uh, go there and subscribe and be sure you don't miss out on it as soon as it comes out uh if if you want to if you don't want to wait weeks for it to arrive on newsstands or in your mailbox, go ahead and subscribe to the digital edition, and you'll ha have it right away, um, weeks earlier than everybody else. Uh, it's also a bigger discount uh, off the cover price than the uh, subscribing to the print edition, but they're both great, great deals. They'll both give you half off uh, the cover price or more, uh, so definitely worth taking advantage of. Uh, and, yeah, I think August 28th-ish, something like that, is when it, it drops, so... Uh, yeah, be be at the head of the line to check out this year's PWI 500 at pwi-online.com. Uh, I'll quickly go through the other plugs. The PWI T-shirt is back. It is available at prowrestlingtees.com. Uh, go get it. Uh, what else? You can follow us on Twitter at official PWI. Mike, you're one of the people who is more active than others, I think, on on Twitter uh, for us. And uh, what else? Send us a, an email at. Uh, PWI, there's so many email addresses here. PWI <laughs> at kappapublishing.com. There's also a Pro Wrestling Illustrated at yahoo.com for editorial, uh, for letters to the editors. We have our own uh, email here, PWI podcast at outlook.com. Uh, it's, it's more than you need to know. Just send us a, <laughs> anything and everything. PWI at kappapublishing.com, your one stop shop. Uh, so that's uh, pretty much it. Okay, uh, lots to talk about, Mike. Uh, well, generally, what was your sense of SummerSlam uh, last week? Like I said, uh, I enjoyed it, and my very favorite, it, it's amazing how far this goes, but the end of the show, the thing that had me and some of my friends that I was watching with kind of dancing in joy was that it was over at 10.30. It blew my mm -hmm. mind. I, I thought this can't possibly be right, but uh, yeah, the, the main show was just three and a half hours long, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Without Charlotte Flair circling the building in a helicopter, I think they could cut out uh, about a half an hour from the runtime of the show. But yeah, it was it, it was fine. It was for you know for for an evening event where you've got to get up and go to work the next day, but you don't want to miss too much of it. I think it was just kind of right down the middle. Yeah, and uh, what's interesting is a clearly different take than they've done for uh, SummerSlams in the last 
few years and even bigger shows like WrestleMania and Royal Rumble where uh, certainly at WrestleMania where I think the the inclination is get everybody and everything on the show and SummerSlam was a big departure from that where not only did he not have everybody in the show they left off some really big names I mean Daniel Bryan Roman Reigns neither were any anywhere to be seen on the show um, Samoa Joe Braun Strowman uh, I can go on and on but a, a lot of, of you know certainly that that upper tier of stars weren't on the show you know the Miz didn't have a match uh, mm-hmm. and many others and and in their place you know on one of the biggest shows of the year you saw some names that you don't typically see uh even on WWE TV week to week I mean people like Ember Moon and uh Natalia and uh, some others I mean so an, an interesting mix of, of who got on the show Dolph Ziggler uh while others uh, were left off but I think it's fine it, it gave fans <laughs> You know, I, I'd always joke, one of the things that I hate about what's become of these uh, big tentpole shows is that it leaves fans wanting less. And mm-hmm. uh, this was the opposite of that. I mean, this left you, you know, they were already teasing uh, The Miz and Dolph Ziggler the next night on uh, Raw. And uh, what would Samoa Joe do? So uh, you were left, you know, kind of hungry for more. So in, in that sense, I thought, just terrific. I hope it is... Uh, the sign of things to come. I hope they're acknowledging. And I don't know if Paul Heyman or Eric Bischoff have anything to do with this, but if there's an acknowledgement that, yeah, seven hours or whatever is just way, way, way too much. Nobody wants to sit through anything uh, that long and a return to some kind of sanity on the shows. Uh, I'm all for it. I think that what what you mentioned is really a product of the same thing that we were talking about with regard to the 500. Um, I, do you still go back, Al, and watch old SummerSlams, old pay-per-views oh, through the network? So, so you remember when these pay-per-views were really to, in some ways, end feuds, in many ways, end feuds, or bring a feud to a climax, and then sometimes start other feuds. We don't see that as much now even with the big four because there's so much else to fill there's it's kind of like the 24-hour news cycle you know that there's there's so much stuff they just got to kind of keep you know putting things in and finding other stories and things like that Uh, wrestling's kind of the same way you gotta you but but you have this kind of small box this three to four hour box which is really the meat of it even if the runtime with pre-show is seven hours where you've You've, they've really got to become more selective now of what they're going to put put out there. So we don't see some of the top top tier talent. It's really okay. I, I like seeing Ember Moon and and some other folks like that. And and I think you and I are going to talk about the the Dolph Ziggler Goldberg match a little bit. Um, it's just different. It's it's very different. And I and I try not to be stuck in in the old days. I'll talk some more about that here as we, as we go. Um, but it's um, it's not the SummerSlam that we grew up on. No, because the wrestling park is so different. And, and uh, you know, I talked to Dan about that, I think, at the, the last podcast and how in the past we were talking about the buildup to, like, SummerSlam 90 and how they started building angles. And I think even doing, like, the weekly SummerSlam report with yeah. Eugene, Gene, uh, I think maybe in May or, or April. And this time around, uh, I mean, they announced Dolph Ziggler and Goldberg six days before the show. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a real different uh, – uh, and I get it. It's a different way of booking. It's, it, it's a different era. Uh, yeah. You know, there is so much content uh, every week that it, it's hard to make these shows uh, feel special. You know, back then we were starved for anything that was similar, <laughs> yeah. that, that resembled a, a competitive match because most of what you watched were squashes every uh, yes. week. Uh, yeah. So just having stars against other stars was 
uh, a huge, huge deal. Uh, you mentioned but that's a, that's a good point. The SummerSlam '90 is kind of the one I was thinking of, where it was just so big, so so much. I mean, it's I think just it was over in like two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and right. I mean, I, what I remember about that was, uh, and I do think about that. It wasn't the greatest SummerSlam from. Um, a work rate standpoint, if you want to use that word, I don't even know. You know, work rate really existed back then, and certainly in WWF. But in terms of a a buildup, uh, I thought all the almost all the matches uh, had a storyline that was built for several weeks, if not months, on TV. You know, Hogan's injury at the hands of Earthquake. Uh, you know, the, the Rude Warrior storyline played on Rude having beat the Warrior for uh, the title. A year and a half earlier at, at WrestleMania mm-hmm. Five, uh, and other stuff. You know, there was uh, uh, even bad news and Jake, and and there's tons of fun stuff on on that show. So yeah, to me that is kind of like that's the high point of of hyping SummerSlam. Uh, so yeah, I, I love that one. You mentioned uh, Goldberg and Dolph Ziggler, one of the the more talked about matches uh, on the show. Uh, I thought it was exactly what it needed to be. Uh, you know, you're always going to have uh, kind of detractors who aren't thrilled about seeing a 50-year-old, not even a part-timer. I mean, a, a special attraction uh, really kind of squash one of WWE's, you know, more kind of steady workers there. So what was your take on it? I, I do I do like the use of that term special attraction, by the way. And I can't remember if the first time I heard that was a Vince McMahon term or if that was a Stu Sachs term. Because I think Stu has used that in some of our online meetings as well. When we yeah. talk about do we do we rank you know do we rank somebody like uh, um, Brock Lesnar because right. he's a special attraction too. We've come to expect this from special attractions that most of these matches are going to be that they're coming in as the monster that they're you know, that they're not going to put anybody over anytime soon. So what can be gained from a steady, like you said, a steady person on the roster uh, by getting squashed? I think that we saw an attempt to to do some development around Dolph with him calling Goldberg back again and again. But I'm one of those people that thinks that, that Dolph Ziggler is capable of a lot more than he has gotten a, um, the opportunity to show. And I'm not sure that how things unfolded had that on display. You know that you did get some of the some of the grit and the determination, but in the end, did it did it really help him moving forward? I'm not sure that it did. I'll say this about Ziggler: I feel like this has been the the rap on Ziggler for so long. Mm-hmm. This kind of notion of him being underutilized, such a great worker in the ring. Why did he never kind of you know? Uh, achieve that that those heights you know make it to the top always a bit of an underachiever uh i feel like for one i feel like the the ship sailed on that i mean he's close Mm -hmm. to 40 now uh but past that i i feel like over the last few years ziggler hasn't done himself a lot of favors in uh kind of advancing that narrative that he he deserves more than this i think as he's been given more to do the conclusion that that a lot of fans have drawn, myself included, is, oh, all right, I could, maybe not. Maybe he is doing what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> and and it's not a, a knock on him. It's just to say, I think, yeah, he's about where he should be. And now that he's, um, th- there was always something missing there, right? I mean, that the 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 work in the ring is is always solid, but it always feels a little bit like, I don't know, like kind of make believe pro wrestler, you know. Uh, 
more more Billy Gunn than Shawn Michaels. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and so and 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 still a terrific worker. And I actually like him in this kind of gatekeeper uh, spot. You know, uh, a a defense, a, a first challenger to Kofi Kingston that Kofi could get a meaningful victory against and um, some good matches, even though they weren't all that good. Uh, a, a guy that Goldberg can, that that could put over Goldberg cleanly, decisively, and not kind of hurt him his reputation too much. And I thought, in terms of putting Goldberg over, I don't remember the last time somebody did so well. He was great. You, I mean, that the the whole rap after he lost, where he called it a you know kind of a lucky fluke, and then the second time he's still doing that, so he ended up getting taken out uh, three times and just bumped like a champ. Uh, so I, I kind of like this spot for Ziggler. It, and we don't know what goes on behind the curtain. I mean, we might think we do or we might guess, but there might be a number of reasons why he's not been able to to, to move forward that, that we just have no clue about. Um, who does he remind you of? I'm just curious. Does he remind you of anybody kind of in, in the heyday, kind of the late – Late '80s, early '90s, like we were talking about earlier. Um, see, uh, he reminds he reminds me of Mr. Perfect. Who? Oh yeah, absolutely. Was, sure. Was not you know was not really a giant on the card. He was not in the main event for, for you know for a, a length of time. He's in one of my favorite Mr. Perfect bouts is that kind of double main event at Survivor Series where he tagged with Randy Savage. Um, and that's kind of I kind of imagine Dolph Ziggler in that same kind of. And people might jump on me about this. I think he's in that same kind of category as far as what I see with potential, as far as how he wrestles, uh, how how he works, you know, with his character and everything like that. I'd like to see more of that, but I think you're right that the, the the clock might be running down towards the end. I would have hoped that something more interesting would have happened with well, the gold. He Goldberg had a couple world title runs. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, never made it to the very top, but uh, you know, headline headlined. So you. You'd forget it, but he wrestled for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam a few years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you have no memory of that. It's, he challenged it's Dean Ambrose for, yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple <laughs> years ago. But I think that's dead on. I think per, uh, Mr. Perfect is is uh, that's a really good uh, uh, comparison. And I'll, I'll go one more. I, I think in some ways he's better than Perfect uh, was. Uh, Perfect stood stood out more because there was nobody really doing what he was doing in WWE at the time, with few exceptions, but he was the work rate in WWE in the, the early 90s. Um, and and Ziggler uh, is terrific. I don't know that he is in the top five in WWE. Right. You know, maybe once upon a time he was. Uh, so in some ways, undervalued, but in other ways, when he has been, you know, uh, given that opportunity, I don't want to say he's disappointed, but he, he hasn't set the world on fire. So... Uh, and I and I try to still watch wrestling as a fan. I'm sure you try that too. I think it comes through, you know, even sometimes when we're joking with each other and kind of meetings over email or in the 500 meetings. That sometimes I kind of rate things based on what I like, what I what I what I would like to see more of, because I don't want to lose that part of me, you know, as a fan. And that's where that comes out with Ziggler. Like I like this guy. I want to see more of him. Wish it would have been better. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the big news of the night, the main event, uh, Seth Rollins wins back the Universal title from Brock Lesnar. I thought this was a great, great match. Uh, exactly what, it, uh, you know, similar to what I said uh, about Ziggler and Goldberg, exactly what it should have been. I thought the exact right length of time, uh, a lot of fun action. 
I thought uh, psychologically a really well uh, laid out match in the way that uh, I don't think did, did, I know Brock hit the F5 once, but I don't think he went for the cover. But you, you, it wasn't the unbelievable kind of thing where Brock hits six F5s and Seth kicks out of them uh, every time. I thought the match was really well constructed. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't remember the last time Brock put somebody over that cleanly. Uh, so I think it's a real testament to what they think of Seth. And um, yeah, I thought this was great. They they have done some good work together also because uh, I'm not good on the the numbers after the word WrestleMania but the Mania a couple of years ago uh, where Brock uh, uh, took the curb stomp from Seth was it did he take it twice to give up the belt um, uh, right that was uh, 31 yeah I thought that was good stuff I think it, I think it's a a good rivalry that I almost wonder if it might have uh, you know one or two more matches in it down the road if 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 and when brock comes back what do you think that that uh, rollins victory does uh for brock lesnar's future yeah i think that's the big question even more about what happened more than what happens with seth from here is what happens with brock um it feels like if he's going to be around uh he needs to take a, a break at least from that universal title scene mm-hmm. so uh i think there's, there's some curiosity about him maybe going after the wwe championship uh which right now is uh, on kofi kingston but you know I, I that's a match i'd be curious to see brock and kofi right. and certainly with smackdown going to fox in the fall i'm sure fox would love to have brock lesnar so maybe we get to see more of him uh there um but you know, I wouldn't mind him moving into more of moving out of the title picture and more into uh, again that word again, kind of the special attraction mm-hmm. picture. Working uh, with big guys, not just big guys, but but matches with high stakes that aren't necessarily title matches. You know, mm-hmm. whoever mm-hmm. it would be, whether it's Kevin Owens or it'd be, you know, they did the Braun Strowman thing and it wasn't all that good. But, right, uh, whoever. Uh, AJ Styles, I don't know. Ricochet, yeah, because there, there's some great matches from back in the day that weren't about titles. You right. Know, you know, just a good old-fashioned grudge match or something like that, or somebody wanting to take on a bully. Uh, they could easily do that with Brock. I, I, I do want to say about about Seth Rollins that I just I really like his in-ring work at a number of different levels. Um, he's a company guy, and and I think that's where the uh, you know, when, when you were talking about earlier, Dolph versus Sean, I think Seth and Shawn Michaels is is you know more of a better kind of analogy, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's the the modern day Shawn Michaels. He can do a lot of stuff. Um, it, it, you know, and I think that that's okay. They we don't so much talk anymore about having the face of the company when somebody has the title. Um, but I, I saw an. Uh, uh, an interview with uh, MJF from AEW a while back where he he's kind of emerging as uh, he he wants to be a company guy and the face and the voice of that company and Seth Rollins kind of the same way taking issue with people on social media and in interviews and things like that he is really um, he's clearing his own path as he goes forward he's made a lot of the right moves with respect to how he handled things in the shield how he went with uh some of the you know some of the parts that were cast for him the roles that that he had to fulfill and he's done a really good job speaking of things that we didn't think we'd see uh, if not again not for a while uh on monday night we saw the return of sasha banks 
uh, a new character, her pulling off the purple wig, revealing a, a, a new attitude, uh, mm-hmm. pummeling Natalia, and then later uh, Becky Lynch. So I think uh, probably the most memorable, memorable moment of the post-SummerSlam uh, Raw. What do you make of her return? What do you think it means for the, the women's division? Does it inject some life in a division that has uh, lost something for sure uh, after the departure of Ronda Rousey? I, I I think I want to recycle a phrase that I just used in the last segment here and say, how lucky are we that <laughs> Sasha Banks came back? Um, I think, you know, I, I, I really like WWE. I mean, you and I can, can kind of sit here and complain about things and say what we've done better. But we, And most people who complain about WWE also secretly like it and enjoy it, um, even the most vocal critics. So I like WWE, really like Sasha Banks. Um She's, she seems also like a, a fairly decent person. She's a wrestling fan. Um, I've, I've seen some interviews with her, with her where she you know, talks more about the you know, personal things in her life. There's a great video. Have you seen those Hot Wings, uh, that Hot oh, yeah. Wings series? And, and I, the one with her was, I think, especially good. If she was going to jump to AEW, I certainly wouldn't hold, hold that against her. I think somebody like her who's very good in a number of respects um, – is best on a big stage and is best at the top of the card. So I'm glad to see her come back in and, and I hate to use this word, but stay relevant. And this was a great way to make her relevant again for her to allow herself to show why, why she's relevant. Um, it's, it's too bad that I think, uh, Natalia, um, you know, she's had kind of like with Dolph Ziggler, some some decent runs here and there at the at the top of of her division. It, it it concerns me a little bit that she's almost kind of a vehicle now to get people over because of her lineage and because she's been around for so long. But uh, I think to have Sasha kind of take her apart and then also have a dust up with uh, um, with the champ. Uh, was a great way for her to, to to come back. It had a little bit of everything just so over the top. So it was good stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a good comparison, uh, Natalia and, and Dolph Ziggler. She does kind of feel like the Dolph Ziggler of the, the women's division. Mm-hmm. N- not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it is what it is. Uh, somebody mm-hmm. who you know you know could give you a good match uh, is believable in that spot, but you also, I don't know, totally would accept at the, the very top of the division. Uh, but but Sasha, I think you would. You know, yeah. We forget there was a time a few years back where I thought Sasha Banks – Male or female was one of the best performers in wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming off that feud with Bailey and, and NXT, uh, and, and notably she was a heel and a terrific heel um, in, in NXT, and I think never quite achieved that uh, on on the main roster. Uh, in part, uh, it was because a lot of that time she was working as a babyface, and she's mm-hmm. she's fine at it, but but it's a little miscast. I mean, I, I think the the attitude, the bravado works better as a heel, um, and. I think her. I think Becky Lynch needs a Sasha Banks, mm-hmm. uh, and I think she goes right in there. And and it is the. I think we we return hopefully to some really good women's wrestling, which uh, we we haven't had so much. Uh, real quick, one last uh, point of business that I wanted to bring up: uh, some some rumors in the last couple of days about um, NXT maybe coming to USA Network uh, in the fall as part of kind of the whole TV reshuffling. Uh, there are going to be people who are celebrating that. There are going to be people who are, and I think I, I sign up for this one, this side of it, uh, who are going to dread it and, and what that means for, for NXT and kind of the purity of NXT. 
if, uh, you know, less so what network it's on, um, but, you know, I, I think the concern, and this is so backwards, but I think the, the concern is that this ends up on Vince McMahon's radar more than it is now. Right. He gets more hands-on, and it just becomes something different than, than what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Because on a major network like USA, I don't know that it, it can be what it is, which is kind of um, a, a place to establish new acts, people who are still very green, I mean, essentially uh, still developmental. I, I think what it would be is showcasing the biggest stars and the biggest matches, and God forbid they start like, you know, they sent Roman Reigns over there to get some star power at NXT on any given week. Uh, so... I'm not seeing this as good news at all. How about you? I, I, I could be wrong, but I think I remember NXT when it was on Vince's radar. I was at some shows where they would do the it, – it was kind of like they were doing Big Brother or, or – uh, what what's that other show about the about when they put people on islands and things like that? The, about original the original one. NXT way back when. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that was NXT. I think oh, you know they were doing kind of reality show kind of challenges, and physical challenges and stuff like that. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that would that would be. Um, that that would not be a good thing for the for the NXT diehards or the people who want to see folks developed before a call up to the main roster in a certain way, uh, so that their best characteristics are are enhanced and maximized coming into the WWE main roster. Yeah. Uh, sign of the times, though, as far as AEW, I would imagine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And back to the the music analogy. I mean, I I I think about. Um, being in high school and how popular Green Day was among like the underground punk fans and that kind of right. stuff, and then Dookie hit right, and they were yeah. all over top forty, and it was never the same. And uh, this has the potential to be NXT's Dookie, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Where, where, yeah, the audience will grow by by nature because it, it's going to be on uh, a lot more in a lot more homes on on USA, uh, but it just loses some of that. That purity and uh, that's be lucky the least if of it. it grows. You know, I mean, if it, it gets too involved, ugh. yeah, they'll, they'll be lucky if it grows. And what if it doesn't grow? What yeah. if it goes the other direction? That's sure. you know, yeah. there's there's there is that possibility um, that a couple of years from now we could be looking at an NXT that is completely different, or maybe not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. We will see. All right, Mike, thanks so much. We've been talking for a while uh, now. I appreciate it. Always fun to be chatting with you, Mike. Um, check out Mike's work in, in the magazine. He does Before the Bell. He does the Independent Roundup and whatever else he's uh, saddled with. Issued it. Yep. Uh, so thanks, Mike. Uh, we'll Thank have you, you very soon. much for having me. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it, as always. Absolutely. Right now, let's hear from uh, the Podfather, the, the host and man behind uh, many of wrestling's more popular podcast conrad thompson big fan of uh your work uh and hearing from Stu, you're a fan of us he i know you you took care of him uh over starcast so i ex- extend uh, our thanks to you i can ask you a bit about that you know we're in our, our 40th uh anniversary here at the magazines did did you grow up reading them were they something that meant a lot to you oh yeah absolutely you know my uh Whenever my mom would make a grocery store run, I always asked if I could tag along just so I could see what was new on the newsstand. And I think uh, everybody in my age group sort of grew up on the magazine. It was a big part of our wrestling fandom. Yeah. Do you still keep up with them? Uh, I, I know now with, with AEW on the cover of PWI for uh, the first time, I mean, do you see that as a big deal for them? 
Oh, absolutely. It's super cool to know that, you know, in wrestling, it seems like nothing lasts, but somehow WWE and, and Pro Wrestling Illustrated have. Yes. And, uh, no, it's super cool that uh, it's still around and that, and that AEW is on the cover, and I absolutely check it out every chance I can. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a bit about uh, podcasting. Uh, I remember interviewing Chris Jericho uh, years back. This is probably four years ago. This is when he had just launched his podcast and sort of wondering, like, you know, you're this big, successful wrestler and rock star and author. You know, wh- why do you want to get into podcasting? It seemed like just kind of this little thing. And, and he told me, no, man, you don't get it. You know, he, this is going to be a big deal. And obviously, uh, he was right. Could could you have predicted that podcasting would become what it has become? No, I don't think anybody really expected that it would become as big as it has. I mean, it's it's tremendous that you know it, it's gotten as large as it has, and that you know so many fans are keeping up with it um, through podcasting. I think it's really brought back a lot of lapsed fans. At least that's what listeners to my podcast tell me is. You know they had sort of fallen out of love with wrestling, but now they're they're back in it and bigger than ever. And but I never would have guessed that this many people would be listening and that it would become so time consuming in my my everyday life. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised, and I know you still do the mortgage uh, business. I'm surprised that you find the time for it. I mean, just sort of mathematically, there's only so many hours in a day. You're recording how many of these uh, a week now? Each of them are. Uh, several hours, especially when you do these watch-alongs. Now you're blocking out three hours of your day, and I imagine there's some some pre-production and post-production, you know, coordinating all that stuff, uh, and then StarCast on top of that. So, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> do you see your wife? Do you, do you have time to do much of anything else? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I'm, def- I'm definitely busier than ever, but uh, I find a way to, to make it happen. I don't know really what a work-life balance is, but uh, I've got a support staff that helps me on the mortgage side of things and another support staff that helps me on the podcast side of things. So somehow, some way, I managed to keep it all together. But uh, it does require that, you know, from the minute I wake up until I go to bed, I'm uh, working or almost working. Uh, but no, I, I don't view it as a sacrifice because I'm doing what I want to do. And uh, the old cliche, if you enjoy your work, you never work a day in your life or whatever that is, that's actually true. Well, let me ask you about that. I mean, how has it affected your fandom when you go from watching wrestling uh, recreationally because you want to watch wrestling to you have to because it's your job? And and a lot of what you watch, frankly, is is bad, right? I mean, that's sort of the, the idea of some of it is you, you sit down and you watch some, you know, not the best WCW pay-per-view sometimes, and, and you got to sit there and watch. And, and from listening to the podcast, it sounds like you kind of have to go through more than once to even um, does that sort of reinforce your fandom because it forces you to sit through some good and some bad, but also watching it now with some of the people who are instrumental uh, in putting it together at a time, or does it just kind of become more of a job? I still enjoy watching the old stuff. The only difference, I guess, is I, I have less of an opportunity to watch the new stuff. I still try to catch as much as I can, but you know, I used to watch Raw and SmackDown every week, and I used to have fun, t- fun time for Impact and New Japan and Ring of Honor every week, and that's just not possible anymore. So, you know, with me having to watch as much of the old stuff as I do, plus all the other work that goes into those shows and my real job and, and, and some semblance of a real life, I do find myself having to be a little more particular with what I watch, and so DVR has become my friend. Yeah. Will you still watch wrestling on your own, not recording a podcast, do you still pop in the old stuff and just watch it for entertainment? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, uh, I had um, guys in from out of town this past week, and, and that was the first thing we did is we watched some old stuff together that they had never seen, and uh, I couldn't believe they had never seen it. So, you know, we ran down to the home theater and, and fired it up, and it's, you know, it's still fun uh, yeah. in that way. It hasn't affected my fandom that way at all. Yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons uh, or one of uh, uh, how you came to be uh, – on my my wish list for a guest was I was talking to Dan Murphy, who's also a writer here in the magazine, and he puts uh, together the PWI poll each year. And there's a, a question we ask every year, which is, who are the most influential people in wrestling? And it's always kind of the usual suspects, you know, Vince McMahon and you know whoever's running Impact or New Japan these days, that kind of thing. Um, and I mentioned I thought a name that was missing on that list was yours, uh, uh, in terms of. Modern figures who are who are truly influential in by by the definition of, of the word, uh, and this was before uh, the news with Eric Bischoff happened. But just in terms of what Starcast has become, and you providing um, a platform uh, each week for these figures who are uh, hugely historic figures to talk about the business, their experience in it, explain a, a lot of you know how something that that came to be uh, a huge hit, uh, moment in history. How, you know what was behind it, walking you uh, through it. Um, do you see yourself that way? I, I, I know Tony Schiavone sometimes has fun with you and talks about uh, your your importance, and and you kind of blow it off. Uh, but do you see yourself as an influential figure? No, absolutely not. I mean, I appreciate you saying that. That's very kind and polite of you, but that's not even remotely close to reality. No, I, I don't. You know, I just do podcasts, man, and and I'm blessed that so many people listen to it, but. No, I don't have any influence or stroke in the wrestling business. I've never even worked in the wrestling business. <laughs> how about Eric Bischoff? How how much uh, do you think where he is at uh, now? And, and we're talking on Monday before I think uh, most fans will see him for the first time in a long time on television as part of the Raw reunion. Uh, you know, frankly, how much do you think you had to do with him returning to WWE? Zero. I mean, I, I, I know you're, you're fishing for me to take credit for something. <laughs> here, but we, we can play that game as long as we want. I'm not going to. I, I, I know that Eric is in that spot because he has a lot of television experience. And I know that he's in that spot because he's qualified for the job, you know, and, um, WWE needed, you know, something different. They needed to look outside to, to, to source that talent. And given, you know, the success they've had with Bruce Pritchard, it probably wasn't terribly difficult to think well what about one of bruce's friends uh eric bischoff i i don't take any credit for that how do you think he's going to do in the job i mean when the two names came out Heyman and, and bischoff i think it's fair to say there was more optimism about Heyman just because he's been part of the product for a longer time he's already there he's thought of as more of kind of a creative guy and bischoff is a name a lot of fans uh, really haven't equated with wrestling for uh, a number of years, but listening to you on the show, it sounds like you're more optimistic than most about how he'll fit into that role. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, there's been lots of rumor and innuendo about what his job is. And I think a lot of people sort of jump to conclusions about what his job is or isn't. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, him sort of handling this, this Fox relationship with WWE, I mean, I think that is, is a very, very important job and, and who better than someone who has put, you know, over probably more than a dozen television shows on the air. I mean, he was in the television business as long or longer than he was in the professional wrestling business. I don't think enough people really talk about that, but that's certainly the reality. And, you know, I'm sure if he were being candid with you, he would tell you made more money in television than he did in wrestling. So, 
it is an area of expertise for him, and I know that there is a certain group of, of anti-Bischoff folks out there who sort of, um, you know, really like to poke fun at the things in his wrestling career that didn't go swimmingly. But the reality is the guy's an innovator, and I feel like a lot of people just sort of forget that, you know, he's the guy who got Hulk Hogan, and he's the guy who created the NWO, and he created Nitro, and he went head-to-head with Vince McMahon, and for every other promoter, you know, Literally no other promoter in history beat Vince McMahon and, and Eric didn't just do it once. He did it 83 times in a row. He did it a lot more times than that, but he did it 83 times in a row. And, you know, he was super profitable at a time when, when the WWF was not, and he was able to do what really, really smart wrestling people could not do before or after him, not just, you know, within, you know, going the, the, the idea of going head to head with Vince McMahon, but even inside WCW, you look at all the great talent, all the great wrestling lines that came through there. Uh, only Eric Bischoff was able to do that. So I, I don't sleep on Eric's business acumen and his ability to make good decisions and run a business. But I think people who sort of say, oh, well, he's not going to be this creative genius who just changes everything in WWE. Who said he was? You know, let's let's give him a chance to see what he can do before we sort of poo-poo it. That's my attitude. Yeah, I really agree. And I had this debate with Dan Murphy. And um, I think one of the things that, that your podcast in particular has kind of helped remind me was um, what a visionary he was. And uh, I think he's the first to say that, that he his strong suit was not creative. And what people forget is when he was um, brought into an executive position, it it had nothing to do with creative. He was uh, on on the TV production side. He was in charge of uh, the look of WCW, and he absolutely transformed it. And I think when you you look at um, what WWE television production is today, it owes more to Eric Bischoff than anybody else. Uh, because what did Monday Night Raw look like for all those years before Nitro? Uh, you know, came on, on TV. It was dimly lit. It was in these small little uh, arenas, the the Westchester County Center or whatever. And it was Nitro that brought big television production to uh, weekly wrestling. And um, it maybe more than anything else, that's what the WWE could, and maybe SmackDown in particular, could really use is just a, a freshening up. Uh, do, do you, how much confidence do you have that he's really going to get the, um, the, the rope to do that. What do you mean the rope? The You mean in terms of the, the latitude to sort of make yes. decisions? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not there. So it's hard for me to say, you know, but, but I do know that, you know, his primary job, I think people sometimes underestimate the WWE's business interest. You know, their, their contract with Fox is unbelievable. And, and, the monetary investment is going to require substantial staff and substantial attention. And so Eric is probably, I don't know this, but I would say Eric is one of many, many, many folks who are going to be, you know, making sure that this thing goes as smoothly as possible because they want this to be a home run. It's the first time that Mm -hmm. professional wrestling has been on, on broadcast television in a long, long time. You know, we've talked about cable for decades, but this is a huge opportunity, not, not for millions, but for billions. And I think those decisions are bigger than does Kofi Kingston keep the belt or not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't mean for that to be silly, but I, I don't, I, I think the, the real innovation and the real sort of feather in the cap 
for Eric Bischoff or the things he did that, that you said, you know, in television production and just the way WCW was presenting their product and their approach more so than, you know, what was the storyline this past Monday? Yes, that mattered, but it wasn't the only thing. And I feel like whenever we talk about decisions that are going to be made on Fox, we're talking only about, hey, who keeps the belt and who's working on top? Yes, that's important, but it's one of like 30 different things that have to be considered and worked through. So I'm of the mindset that, yes, it's important, but it's not the most important. And, and I think Eric will have, you know, he's going to have a substantial voice. He's not consulting from his home in Cody, Wyoming. He's relocated to Stamford, Connecticut. He's he's done that for a reason. Mm-hmm. As a guy who now has worked with him for a number of years and, and you've gone from just this business relationship to what I imagine is, is something of a friendship, maybe not as close as, as you've developed it with some of the other guys you work with, uh, but are you personally proud to see him in this position? Does it, does it feel good for you? And, and he sounds like, you know, a, a kid getting his first big break. He sounds really excited about doing it. Does, does that give you a feeling of pride? Oh, absolutely. You know, you want your friends to do well and to see that, you know, all of my friends are doing better than they ever have, whether it's Tony Schiavone or Eric Bischoff or Bruce Pritchard. You know, they're all in a, in a much more uh, financially rewarding and and just satisfying space in their life than they've been in in their entire life. And uh, that's that's the coolest feeling of all, man. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that goes in particular for, for Tony, who was frank in, in, you know, he talks about how you, you pretty much paid for his uh, kid's wedding, which... Um, I think it's a really deep thing uh, to say, and and I know you, you have some fun with him, but the guy was working at Starbucks, right, before uh, you, you came along. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on what – do you think Tony's surprised by how important he remains? I mean, he seems like a guy who was uh, maybe more modest and humble about what his part in wrestling history was and genuinely touched that this many people want to hear it from him. Yeah, I do. I think it's really surprising for Bruce Pritchard and for Tony Schiavone and for that matter, Eric Bischoff. You know, Eric had a podcast before he and I did one together and, you know, the the renewed interest in Eric Bischoff on the heels of 83 weeks, I do think is shocking. I mean, he was certainly shocked when, you know, week one downloads came in and that was the, sort of the same thing that JR experienced, you know, for, for whatever reason. You know, the, the format that I do really allows these guys to sort of showcase their successes and discuss their failures and specifically what they learned from those. And that candor has endeared themselves to uh, a new fan base that maybe had a different impression of them. And I think no one benefited more than that or more from that than Bruce and Tony, because for years and years, we never really heard from Bruce. And what we did hear about Bruce wasn't overly positive. It was always someone else you know, say, oh, Bruce this, Bruce that. But he was always in the position of the quote-unquote office. So, you know, there's a, a joke in wrestling that, oh, well, that's the heat position. Because Vince McMahon, you know, needs certain things to happen at some points. There's a good cop, bad cop. And you can guess who gets to be the good cop. And unfortunately, Bruce would get to be the bad cop in some of those situations. And there's a handful of talent who would, you know, run and do shoot interviews and you know, make a, a fun little comment or, or one-liner about Bruce here or there. And so when he finally got behind the live mic and could really just tell his story, he realized not only is he smart, but he's damn funny. He's one of the best storytellers, and he's very engaging. And that's the same thing with Tony Schiavone. I think so many fans 
sort of assumed he was done with wrestling and he was this bitter old man who hated wrestling and all of us. And that's not true. He loves wrestling. Uh, and most of us. So, uh, it's been, it's been fun for him to sort of fall in love with wrestling all over again. Yeah. And he credits you for that, right? I mean, he talks about having kind of taken a step away from it, uh, embraced baseball more for the last 20 years, but, uh, it is one of, and, and, and that show, is as silly as it comes when you and Tony get together. And those are the best shows, is when you guys are just two friends cracking each other up. But every once in a while, there's a moment of candor where, where Tony really talks about, as he touched on, falling in love with wrestling all over again, and, and that being because uh, because of you. So that's got to feel pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you touched on it with uh, with Eric's old podcast and, and Jim Ross's. It seemed like... You know, it took you to come along and and tell them something that that maybe you know wouldn't have been that intuitive, and that is that nobody wants to hear you guys talk to other people. They want to hear you talk, right? I mean, you guys are the story makers. So, what was how do you approach them about some of this? Was was that a revelation to some of them? Yeah, I think so. You know, I I, I um, you know, it's it's always hard for me to sort of gauge the reaction. I don't, I don't really know until I log in and see. And and. The shows are also different, even though the, the format uh, is similar, and I think that speaks to how different each of these guys are. And the way you deal with them is different, and that's always really interesting, too. So with with Tony, again, it, it feels, and I think with Bruce to an extent, it feels more like a couple of buddies hanging out. With Eric, uh, it's a little different. I've always uh, sensed a little more... Uh, healthy tension there maybe you a little more kind of uh, a cynical uh, about his memory isn't also that very good uh, compared to some of the others um and then with ross who is the newest uh i think it's fair to say you're kind of the most reverential toward him right uh is is that all about right do you think i mean yes and no i mean i do think that uh, you know bruce is more bruce is funnier uh, so because Bruce has this comedic timing and he's willing to sort of poke fun and do silly voices, it sort of lightens the mood a little bit with Eric. Uh, Eric would be the first to admit that he is not remotely funny. No, <laughs> uh, he would say he is the least funny person he knows and he doesn't even attempt comedy. So as a result, the show has to have a bit of a different feel. So if we can be lighthearted and do silly voices, then, then we can entertain fans that way. But if we can't, we've got to look for something else. And so essentially, I'm, I'm sort of the program director for this radio station for your nostalgia wrestling. And my, my quote-unquote morning show with Bruce Pritchard is sort of wacky and funny, and we do silly voices. Uh, but I need something else for the midday, and, and I've programmed it with Eric Bischoff. But if Eric can't be funny, I've got to look to something else. So we sort of approach that one with more of a, a point-counterpoint and we approached the news, uh, as reported by Dave Meltzer, as here's what was reported. Now tell us, you know, your version of events. And we sort of leave it up to the listener to decide. And every now and again, if you're scrolling through your radio and you hear sports talk radio or you hear political talk radio, there's lots of point counterpoint, and that can get heated. And that's what makes it entertaining. And and that's what's worked for 83 weeks. With Tony Schiavone, it's really just you know resulted in two guys just busting each other's balls and having yeah. a good time and background sort of the background is sort of the wrestling. It's not at the foreground. 
but that wasn't the original idea. The original idea was let's just make him the WCW version of Bruce, and that just didn't work. So this is where we are now. It's really just more of a, a buddy cop show at this point with wrestling as the background. Yeah, and, yeah, and it works really well. And with JR, I think uh, we're still finding our footing. We're still finding our rhythm. But I, I do think that JR is probably out of the gate less willing to defend stuff he doesn't like. You know, I think a lot of people assumed he was going to say everything on AEW was great and just become this super AEW shill. But instead, he was very critical of the pre-show at Fighter Fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, when a guy's willing to do that with his current employer, you got to think he's not going to worry about it with his former employer. And then when we covered the draft episode and we talked all about Vince McMahon, you know, he's, he's willing to just be honest and, and, and talk about things sort of warts and all, including admitting when he was wrong and made a mistake. And that's something that some co-hosts don't really want to do. So I do think that the formats have to be different because not all the guys are the same. Uh, but the result is I'm trying to create as entertaining of a show as I can. So if we want to be wacky and zany and Bruce Pritchardy, or we want to talk about, you know, just the facts, ma'am, and really make it more of a business show and occasionally get into an argument here or there, that's 83 weeks. If you just want something lighthearted to listen to with wrestling sort of in the background, it's Tony Schiavone. And I think, you know, right now, Jim Ross is a hodgepodge of all three. So the next StarCast is coming up uh, in a few uh, weeks. I th- you know, I-, I think every time you've done one of these, you've said it's your last, and then you go and do it again. Do you feel like you've got more of a, a rhythm now? Um, are-, are you willing to say now that you're going to keep on doing these in perpetuity? I hope to God not. I hope this is the last one. You know, the deal is, I thought the first one was the last one just because it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime event. I really did think when these guys' contracts were up, they were all going to split up the band. Some would, you know, stay with ring of honor in new Japan. Others would wind up back in WWE. That's not the case. A new company was formed and that was so exciting that when they told me, Hey, the big plans are big show in Vegas on this day, big show in Chicago on this day. I asked if I could do Starcast because I still had it in me to try to show that I could do better than the first one. And I really wanted to push myself and challenge myself to do better than Chicago. And we did. And, um, I committed to both. So right out of two, I was promoting three, but after this, man, no, I think I need to hang it up for a bit. I'm going to stick to mortgages and podcasting. I'm not going to say there'll never be another one, but I can, I can say very clearly there's not another one planned. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, the frequency at which you're cranking them out. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that would be a lot of work doing annually. And then this will be your third within a year, right? The third within a 12 month span. Yeah, I mean, I think technically, you know, we're just on the other side of it um, or, or, you know, right at the one year anniversary of the first one. But that wasn't ever the, the plan. The plan was just to do the one. And then when AEW became a thing and I knew what the schedule was, it felt like we had, I knew I wanted to do another one in Chicago and I didn't want to miss a chance to do it in Vegas. So I pushed myself to do Vegas and we pulled out all the stops there and we're doing that again in Chicago and tickets are on sale now at uh, starcast.com. And we've got a who's who of guests, including all the great stars of AEW, like John Moxley and the young bucks and Cody Rhodes and the Lucha bros and everybody on down the line. Plus some great legends from yesteryear, like sting and Mick Foley, Scott Hall, and a bunch of others. Uh, but the big announcement, I think that everybody's talking about this week is that CM Punk is going to be at Starcast after not doing anything with wrestling for years and years and years. 
Uh, he's coming out of retirement for StarCast, so that should be pretty fun. Is that something you brokered yourself? Yes. I mean, you know, I'm, I, at this point, this sounds really, really uh, weird to say. I'm like one degree separated from everybody. So even if I don't know yeah. somebody, I know someone who knows them. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, I started working on it uh, maybe beginning of the year and then really started to work on it in like March and then again in April and again in May and again in June. And we finally got the deal done and we were really, really excited to announce him last week. And I think the Internet was, too. So is that to say that clearly he was very reluctant to, to jump on board? No, it's just, you know, I mean, it's not like he hasn't had offers. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what his inbox looks like, but come on. I mean, everybody who has a wrestling event, whether you're, you're Vince McMahon or New Japan or everyone in between, I mean, every, every independent promoter and every convention promoter, I mean, he's been someone everyone has pursued. And uh, some big names in the wrestling convention space, you know, were quick to text me after the announcement and said, congratulations on landing the white whale of wrestling yeah. conventions. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he, I, I don't know what his offers are, but I'm sure he's been pursued. And I don't know if I'm a heck of a salesman or the timing was right, but I'll claim both. Do, do you have any sense between this and that little run-in he did uh, some months back with the mask that maybe he's dipping his toe back in the water or maybe he's warming up to this a little bit more than he, he has in years? You'll find out at StarCast. If you can't make it out in person, you can watch on Fight. We've just announced that that's on sale, and Punk's panel will be broadcast. It'll be the first time that Punk has had a live mic in his hand for in a, in a wrestling atmosphere in a long time, Yeah. and I'm sure he's got a lot to say. And if you can't make it down to check it out, then uh, go ahead and pre-order right now, StarCast on Fight. Yeah, that in and of itself is uh, you know worth the price of admission for sure. All right, Conrad, thank you so much, man. Thanks for taking the time. I, I know you do this. You're spending most of your time in front of a microphone. So, again, sorry to make you do it for a few more minutes, but I, I really appreciate it. No, thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk a little wrestling with you. Okay, thanks, Conrad. Have a good one. Thank you, too. Bye-bye.